is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another week of FUVFC. Um, I'm Keenan Troy, joined alongside by Emma Zubko and Alex Wools. Before we get into all the soccer happenings, you know, women's national team back in action, let me kick it to you guys. How are we all doing? How's, uh, how's in-person living going again for everyone? It's a good question. Uh, in-person living has been interesting. It's nice. I haven't actually seen you very much, Keenan, and I'm wondering why that is. Um, busy with academics and trying to figure out how to live an adult life. Um, applying for jobs and, you know, trying to figure out what I'm going to do with myself in the next two years. And uh, something I've put off for a while, you know, deflecting into talking about soccer, perhaps too much or watching too much soccer, but I I tend to follow my passion. So maybe if I find a job that really gets me going, I'll, uh, I'll be around more in person, but Right now, we're just trying to sort everything out before, you know, soccer fully takes over my life this upcoming winter. And Emma, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I agree with your sentiments. I've been burying myself in, in sports, kind of distracting from, from the rest of life and stuff I need to get done. So it sounds like we have to take a detour here and have a very different conversation about people's <laughs> very serious life stuff here. It sounds like we're wasting our time here talking about soccer, Keenan. No, no, no. It's never a waste. In fact, I prefer it. I mean, I wish when my mom would call me and ask me how my internship search was going, I wish it was just instead, what do you think of the United States women's national team? And for this episode, I think that's where, where, we're, where we need to start because, you know, after a disappointing Olympic, uh, Olympic run, ending with that bronze medal, which, you know, yes, you take home the silverware, but you really were, you know, going into that tournament on a 44 un- match unbeaten streak. You were thinking that this women's national team was destined for gold. And as we saw in Tokyo, they lose three nothing shockingly to Sweden in the semifinals, win that bronze medal. But then there's this giant question mark over the identity of the women's national team as to where do we go again. And so now we see them back in action last night playing a significantly weaker Paraguay side, which, you know, Perhaps had they won the gold medal, this would have been like the victory tour, but now it's kind of become the Carly Lord, Carly Lloyd, excuse me, retirement tour. So with that all being said, we see, you know, a rejuvenated women's national team out on the field, seemingly playing with a lot more composure, a lot more chemistry, seemingly back on that same page that we expected them to go into Tokyo with. So Emma, watching that game, because I know that you are, you know, a devout women's national team supporter. way larger than me by any stretch of the imagination. I was wondering what stuck out to you in that game? Was there, you know, 
seemingly like something maybe humbling about the Tokyo performance that allowed these women to kind of dig into the culture of the women's national team? Or do you think they just, you know, realize the talent that they have and, you know, produce that on the field? Yeah, it was nice to see them back in action and, you know, back to kind of their regular selves. We're so used to seeing them dominate mostly every team they play. And then, you know, even that first loss, that 03 loss to Sweden, first match in the Olympics was kind of startling to watch for us and even for them as well. I was reading up on, you know, what kind of led into maybe some of the problems they were having going into those Olympics and that the chemistry was really off with the team with all the, you know, COVID protocols. They weren't able to have as many like team building sessions and stuff like that due to COVID. And then uh, they hadn't really faced a lot of hard teams leading up to the Olympics as well. And it kind of all came, came together in a, in a bad spell. And, you know, bronze is obviously not bad. You'll take that over nothing, but um, not what we were expecting. It was great to see them come out very, very strong in both their matches against Paraguay uh, in the past week. And it was great to see a lot of the young players out and performing well. Uh, Lavelle, Pugh, uh, Smith, Macario, literally so many had great performances. Given, you know, this is a team ranked 50th in the world, and I would, this would definitely would not have happened against a team like, you know, England, France, or Sweden, in my opinion. But uh, it's great to see them kind of back to their old selves, but they definitely have work to do uh, with, you know, the uh, next World Olympia, uh, World Cup coming up. Season. Yeah, I think uh, I think a lot of good points there. And you mentioned a few things that I was going to address a little bit too. As you mentioned, I think there's an interesting parallel between what you said, Keenan, between this being Carly Lloyd's send-off and the five-goal game that you mentioned. But at the same time, like you mentioned, Emma, it's also the, one of the youngest teams the United States ever fielded. There's average age is well under 30. I think it's like 26 or something like that. It's a fairly young team. And as you mentioned, Emma, you know, a team in Paraguay is it gives you an opportunity to, I think, to get a look at that young talent, a, a similar conversation to what we were talking about with the men last week. And I just think, like you kind of said, it was a good, it was a much needed win, I think, for the women, because it's a time of transition in a lot of ways. You have somebody like Carly Lloyd, who has been there for a decade, and Alex Morgan's another example of that, and all these stars that really carried the team to a World Cup. And now you're dealing with a transitional phase, a new coach, obviously, a younger team, and it's just a very different environment. So sometimes you need games like this, even though it's Paraguay, as you mentioned, a team that you can't go over the moon about with the results, it's important that you do beat these teams into the ground. As we've talked about with the men, there's an inability to do that at times, which ends up haunting you. So it's a friendly, it's not a significant match in the grand scheme of things, but it is significant to the women, I think, of what they're trying to accomplish and just making those strides forward. But a lot of, as you mentioned, Emma, a lot of times have changed for this team and to see a result like that, I think is really important. Uh, and to do it twice is also pretty impactful. Yeah, and I think something you touched upon and you know, transitioning to another question that I had you know, thought about was we saw a changing of the guard after the 2016 World Cup, you know, with Wombach leaving and, you know, much of that old core that, you know, had almost built this program or continued this program for much of the, the late 2000s throughout the uh, 2020s, 2010s, excuse me, leading up to 2016, you saw that guard kind of leave. And then, you know, Carly Lloyd, Alex Morgan, Rapino, Saruman all stepped into this new role. And now, you know, there's a question mark surrounding their legacy and their future with this team, just because when you really break down women's international soccer, though, you know, the men kind of operate on the same, same system of the Olympics. And then, you know, the world cup with the women, that's really all they have. They don't have a, you know, geographical 
championships like a Euro, like a Gold Cup or like a uh, Copa. They really only have the Olympics and the World Cup, which always run nearly simultaneous to each other in most years. So my question to you, I'll start with you, Alex, on this is, do we expect to, we obviously know Carly Lloyd is leaving. And if Rapino leaves and Sauerman leaves, is this going to be Alex Morgan's team to run? Do you, do you envision her kind of stepping up the way that we saw some of these players fill that void as Wambach and her crew pulled out? Or is it, you know, we see this young lineup is, is it perchance Vladko saying this team is anyone's whoever wants it. This team does not have a set future, not in a pessimistic sense, but in a sense that we, we will rebrand ourselves however we see fit in order to win soccer games. That's an interesting question. I have to think Alex Morgan is going to be this, maybe I just might say like the spiritual leader of the team in a lot of ways, that voice that you need. You know, you always need somebody on a, on a team that's as successful as U.S. Women's National Team that has the experience, obviously, and somebody that can talk to, you know, what it takes to win in those type of environments and things like that. Tobin Heath, another example, experienced players that can give you that voice of reason when you're needed talking about the big tournaments. Like they faltered in the uh, Olympics, as you mentioned, it's maybe because that voice of reason wasn't there and you have a young team. So I think they're going to stay around in that kind of role. But when it comes to on the pitch, I think you are going to see some of the younger players start to show up. And we mentioned one of the friendlies, Rose Lavelle, was somebody who really stood out in a fantastic game against Paraguay. And I think you're going to see similar trends of a younger team. You know, like you mentioned, Keenan, it's a transitional phase. And the best time to really find that talent is in an international friendly in an environment like that. And hopefully that'll give, you know, the U.S. Women's National Team a chance to evaluate what they have heading into the important competitions down the stretch. So, you know, we'll kind of see what happens, but I think it's an interesting question. Certainly Alex Morgan will be a pivotal piece of this team no matter what, but yeah, certainly I think it's going to be some changes over the years and we'll see what happens in these friendlies to, to give us a standing of where we're going heading into the more important tournaments down the stretch. Yeah, it's a little scary for me and sad to consider people like Lloyd and Rapino and Sauerbrunn leaving and even Morgan's kind of getting up there. Although she, you know, had an amazing performance against Paraguay, so I don't know if she's going to be leaving anytime soon. But I, I'm not too familiar with the new players who have who uh, Blackov has been incorporating a little bit more uh, in these games. But I, I don't doubt his his tactics and uh, what he plans to do with the team and kind of the mindset that the USWNT usually has uh, when they struggle in something like the, the Olympics. Uh, but yeah, I think, I think there's enough there and I, I still have to see more and get more familiar with the players though, for sure. And it was just nice to see them all working off each other like in the Paraguay games and good, good boost for, you know, the future. That's why you mentioned it. I think the Olympics is important to consider too. Like, you know, it's the first year of this type of system. You can't expect a gold medal right off the jump. I think it's important to mention. Sometimes it will take a game, a, serious, a tournament like that, where you do get bronzes. You mentioned, Emma, that's nothing to scoff at, nothing to just, you know, roll over and say that's a failure. But I think it's important to kind of use that as a learning experience. I think you're already seeing that in the first few games here. The results of that, you're seeing a lot more cohesion, a lot more chemistry, a lot more depth in the roster. It certainly isn't a surprise. So I think that's a learning experience. It's something that we'll see those learnings keep coming as time goes along here with this team, because it is a time of transition, as you mentioned. Kina. Yeah, and I think, you know, something that's perhaps lost in the greatness of Jill Ellis's um, managerial run for the women was after 2016, you know, she had tried to get the team to play a 3-4-3 to try yeah. and, you know, make them more dangerous on the tech and ultimately switch back to a 4-4, a 4-3-3, excuse me, to try and, you know, solidify their defense after in some friendlies, they look sketchy. So I think something that, you know, obviously you expected gold and that's kind of become the standard and, you know, 
what a blessing that is for one of the national teams in this country to be expected to win every time they take the field because the men, as we talked about last week, you never really know what you're going to get. But with Vlaco taking over, you know, there's seemingly some tweaks that he might seem seem to make because obviously fielding his best 11 in Tokyo wasn't able to get the job done. And I'm, I'm just trying to think here, guys, is, you know, as I kind of touched upon in the previous question, a lot of the women's national team prep for Olympics and World Cup qualifying, it's a lot of friendly based. And, you know, they played Paraguay twice and then they play South Korea and this year's um, international play for the women. And, you know, are you expecting to see anything different from Vladko? Are you trying, are you expecting him to like, you know, try out new formations? We saw him introduce new players, but I guess the question really is, as I'm looking at this team is how much is he going to tip his hand in these early friendlies in terms of finding out what works? Because on the one hand, you'd like him to, you know, experiment to find the formation that he wants. But on another hand, you know, as soon as you reveal that formation, that the formations you're going to roll with, you're still the number one team in the, in the world, at least in my opinion. So, you know, Sweden's going to make adjustments. France is going to make adjustments. England's going to make adjustments. And especially with a young team, I guess there's might be some questions in that camp of, can these younger women step up to the plate and when we need them to be dominant, if we reveal our strategy so early on in their development, will we be able to reassert ourselves as top women's footballing power in the world? That's a tricky question. I think, I don't know how much we can glean of it from just these few games, because as you kind of mentioned, the whole team isn't there. You got to remember there's a lot of pieces that are missing, whether it's a Julie Ertz or a Megan Rapino, they're not a part of the equation right now. And that, as you mentioned, Keen, is going to play a big role in whatever the tactics are going to look like down the stretch. So I feel like this is a time where you just got to use that bench and take a look at what you have, because you're not going to get it down the stretch when your whole team is back. So I'm, I'm always a big fan of in these type of friendlies, you know, there's nothing on the line really. I mean, for, you know, obviously outside of playing in your home country, getting a win, always special, no matter what, but in terms of the grand scheme of things there's not really a lot on the line here i think this is the time you have to learn what you have as opposed to down the stretch when the games really do count but as you mentioned there's a risk in that because other teams are going to keep their eyes on what the united states is doing but i just think this is not i don't know how much we can glean from just this game against paraguay because like you mentioned the whole team isn't there it's a you know a bit of a lopsided matchup so that really to me is the, is the grounds where you need to see what you have and in a low leverage situation because you would hate to do it in a high leverage situation start changing tactics start changing personnel when you really don't know what the outcome is going to be yeah, going off of what you said, um, like this is just a time to have the young players play more and get more experience. And, you know, we didn't see Nair, Ertz, Mewis, Rapino, and uh, I think Press did not play as well. And, you know, those are extremely solid players who we still have. And we, we still have Heath healthy again, which is awesome. So even though these kind of old guard players are, are leaving, I think we still have an extremely solid roster uh, going forward. And then so many young newbies coming up as well. And it's matches like these where you want to help build their confidence and you know, see, see what they're made of. No doubt it will be interesting to, uh, to say the least about who's going to be in the United States women's national team camp moving forward. Um, they finish out this year's international play playing South Korea twice. Um, it's about a month from now, October 21st, and then October 26th. Um, the last, seemingly the last two matches, we'll see Carly Lloyd in a women's national team shirt. What a career she's had and the impact on her program. Surely will not be forgotten, but like all things, they must come to an end. But transitioning now to perhaps a different note, because, you know, we're talking about teams finding chemistry, especially this women's national team, finding their identity. 
there's a team in Europe, Alex, and I'm going to start with you on this, that before the Champions League got going, they seemed to be a shoe-in to take Europe by storm. And then a one-to-one draw to Club Bruges had everyone scratching their head as to what in the absolute heck PSG is doing. When you've got a front three that has Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe, you can only score one goal against a team like Club Bruges. No disrespect to them. Play yeah, a no heck disrespect. of a game. No heck of a game. Knew what their strengths were. Knew they had to you know, have at least eight guys behind the ball. When you've got the talent of Messi, Neymar, and Mbappe, and those are just the front three. I mean, that Verratti, their midfield is that Rabio. And then, you know, Donnarumma in that. You're seemingly thinking that this team is just absolute world-class, and then you they kind of lay an egg. So here's what I'll say, number one. I was never really sold on PSG, and that's going to surprise you a little bit. But I have always, from the very beginning, had a lot of doubts about this team and about how it was going to come together. I'm not saying that I'm verified by what happened against Club Brew, because let's be honest, it's the first game of the Champions League. Let's not go crazy here. I'm sure in the grand scheme of things, PSG is going to be fine. I'd like to put that out there. As you mentioned, Keenan, talent wins games. Soccer, I'm not going to overlook that when you have Messi, as you mentioned, and, and Mbappe and Neymar. That front three will score you goals. We've seen it in League One at times. They've scored four in the last couple of weeks. They've been a goal-scoring machine when they've needed to be at times. But the Champions League is a little different. I mean, it's different competition at the end of the day. I mean, even though Club Brewers is not the top of the table by any stretch of the imagination, they are a competitive Champions League team. They've been here before. They know how to play in it. And they've actually given teams some trouble before. So I'm not shocked by the outcome. It's considering that it's PSG's first time on such a stage with this group. Now, it's going to be interesting, though, to see what happens on the stretch, because that's really when you're going to start to learn a little bit more about this team. When comp- competition gets a little bit harder, the group, they should obviously advance out of the group, but once you get into the knockout rounds, we've seen what happened in the past with this team and, and facing some stiffer competition. There's always been doubts, though, about them from League One and about the competition that they face. I have to think, though, in the grand scheme of things, that their talent is going to shine. I mean, it's all the controversy with Messi after these first couple of games, but I think eventually he's going to find his role in PSG and eventually he's going to have the right relationship with the manager that he needs to. I think the front three, I was never sold on how it was going to work together. I think Mbappe is kind of the odd man out at certain times with the way they're constructed at the moment, but I think they're all going to work towards a bigger picture here. And they're going to realize that they have too much talent to accept a 1-1 draw. And sometimes, as we mentioned with the women's national team, it takes a bronze medal to make a change. Maybe it takes a 1-1 draw to make a change for PSG. So I'm excited to see what they do down the stretch. And maybe in the grand scheme of things, it's something that will actually help them. Uh, that might sound a little bit crazy, but we'll, we'll see what happens in, in match day two. Yeah, when I heard the news that Messi was you know, going out for that knee injury against uh, Lyon on Sunday, I think, uh, concerned me just a just a tiny bit like the more he he doesn't play the harder it's going to be to like develop this chemistry between Messi, Neymar and Mbappe they definitely don't lack the talent but you know they, they definitely need time to figure that out he hasn't scored yet for them not that he's effective at all but uh, he he still hasn't scored and then um, yeah I, in that game against Leon which I kind of focus on more than the others you know they didn't create many chances in that in that game um it took like a penalty a uh, one and converted to level the score even and then uh the injury time winner from Icardi to get to get the three points I still want to see them play some more games but I think they they just need uh more and more time to build the, the chemistry yeah, as both of you touched upon, you know, the chemistry is seemingly off. And Alex, I'm in the same boat as you. As soon as Messi signed with PSG, it was a real head scratcher for me. 
just in terms of how he would gel with an emerging star like Mbappe and then a, like uh, a mature star in Neymar, even though, you know, maybe Neymar's not too <laughs> mature, you know, with how much he misses playing uh, the game for, you know, maybe fictitious injuries, maybe he needs to go see his family more, whatever it may be. I was skeptical that he would squash whatever chemistry because let's not forget this PSG team did go to the Champions League final not even two years ago so I was skeptical in terms of Messi's the way Messi would play fitting into a new system just because at Barcelona it had always been you know curtailed to how he wanted to play the game and they would build around Messi versus now it's like all right Messi you have to be a piece that learns to play with other people versus other people learning to play with you so definitely interesting and Emma, you touched on that injury winner against Lyon by Icardi, which, you know, Lyon is a good team. I think every year we see it in the Champions League, just because, you know, League One is so hard to follow in the United States, you have to be subscribed to be in or, you know, buy ESPN Plus, which is really shameful because it's a really competitive league when, you know, PSG is not at their best. But we there's a, there's a still frame of Messi, you know, everybody on the PSG bench is jumping up and down and Messi is just kind of sitting there cold faced and maybe maybe it's people reading it in too much but there's definitely been some question marks surrounding his relationship with manager Maurizio Pochettino and I I asked this to both of you because Pep Guardiola released you know he's being interviewed or gave a gave a quote about how when he was coaching Messi you know he recognized the talent that Messi had and the desire that Messi had and his the way in which he wanted to play the game and maybe Pochettino doesn't see that, or maybe he's ignorant to it, or maybe he just believes that, you know, the best way for PSG to win is if Messi isn't the superstar that he once was. So going forward, next week, PSG plays Man City in the Champions League, which, you know, Man City, that name alone attracts so much attention, no matter who they're playing, but playing PSG. And, you know, we don't know if Messi's healthy, but let's just assume he is. How do we see Pochettino managing Messi? Is he going to keep him on the short leash where he's been subbed off twice in the 60th minute so far with PSG? Or do you think Maurizio understands that like, hey, in order for this team to work and in order for this culture to survive with three superstars up front, I need to let them play however the heck they want to play and I can make adjustments based on what their desires are. I mean, you have to think it's the latter, right? I mean, you just have to. I mean, it's Man City, as you mentioned, is a juggernaut. I'm fascinated by this game. I'm going to be glued to my TV for it because... Look, Man City, they, they obviously scored six goals in their first match of the Champions League, but they also allowed three. And now you have a real lethal attacking group here. And who the heck knows what's going to happen against uh, PSG. So I'm really looking forward to this match. And I, I'm with you, Keenan. I think Messi's got to be on the pitch for 90 minutes of it. And the reason for that is, is twofold. I mean, number one, obviously, he's still incredibly, incredibly talented. One of the greatest players in the world. He can still give you that magic moment whenever you need it. He's also been on the Champions League stage so many times before he knows what it's like to lose in the Champions League remember what happened against Bayern Munich we all remember you know the, the struggles that that team has faced in the past and I think he has the, he wants to avenge that I think that's honestly if I'm looking at to your point why did Messi go to PSG I, don't, I have to think it's to win the Champions League I mean that's what I have to believe at the end of the day because it's that one thing that's been elusive over the past couple of years and if he wants to do that I think he's got to make that clear I think he's got to be a part of the pitch in order to to achieve it and He's also going to give you the best chance to do it. I know he's at an older age, obviously, and 90 minutes it wears on the body, certainly for him. But when you have so much talent and so much experience, you're going to need it in these big games. And Man City, that's a final right there. I mean, that, that from the second day of the Champions League has already given you a finals preview. And I think it's very valuable that Messi is a part of that. And I expect him to be a part of that as well. Yeah, I think the snubbed handshake by Messi 
when he was substituted out against Leon kind of says it all. I don't think you take a player like him off. Uh, like I said before, I think you want them, him, Mbappe, and Neymar to get as much time as possible. And against a city like, excuse me, against a team like Man City, uh, that's you know a great opportunity to build that chemistry and with the entire team in, in general. Certainly will be one to watch. Um, as Alex said, you know, the beauty of the Champions League is depending on who's drawn together. You get little teases of what could be knockout stages or even final play in match week two, which, you know, we all love to see. But shifting gears a little bit, I think that, you know, when we're considering the Champions League and we see Chelsea win it last year, and maybe the best way to say it is maybe I would say gruesome fashion, you know, scoring early in the champions in the final match and then just almost parking the bus, you know, a, tr a true Tuchel win. There's question marks, at least in my head, as to who this Chelsea team was moving forward. Because, yes, they were good, but I don't think they ever had a true striker. You had Abraham two seasons ago who was good, and then you had Werner who is yet to be anything special, yet to be the signing they hoped for. Then they go out and get somebody like Romelu Lukaku, who we've seen in the Premier League just be and in the Champions League, just be an absolute force to deal forced to deal with up front you know if you know Lukaku and you know how he plays he's just strong on the ball and it's going to take uh, pretty much a freight train to move him sometimes in that nine position and this weekend I mean Chelsea first beat Zenit one nothing and you know you can take a lot from that scoreline but if you watch the game Chelsea was always in control I think they didn't seize on every opportunity they created and kind of kind of let Zenit believe that they still had a chance within this game but then this weekend they played Tottenham, which, you know, though it's a London derby, it's not the London derby that Tottenham really gets up for. They're more concerned about their rivals in North London, obviously being Arsenal. But you see Tuchel's boys go out there. And in the first half, you know, Tottenham holding their own. And we're not here to talk about Tottenham because dumpster fires, you know, we don't need to watch them. We don't need to speak on them. We just let them happen. But Tuchel in the second half, the adjustment he makes to make that Chelsea team look so much better than Tottenham to the point where Tottenham fans are booing the players off the pitch, which in my opinion is a classless gesture because you're playing against a superior team. I think their team showed up well for what the talent level Tottenham has, but going back to Chelsea, this team seemingly with the depth that they have with the system in which they play, you know, I didn't think they could go back to back in the champions league, but, Right now, I don't see any other reason why to say that they're not the best team in Europe, or at least in that discussion. So, Emma, how do you like? Do you think Chelsea's title defense is legitimate? You think that's a legitimate concern, or do you think once they get to the knockout stages and you know get outside of their group, they're kind of doomed? No, I think they're definitely a dangerous team. They they look dangerous from everywhere. Like they cover the pitch well with and without the ball. Um. They have great players and a great manager, as you echoed too. And in in that game against against Tottenham, just that that one move of you know subbing N'Golo Kante in, he made it. He made a real impact on the game. And I think they also have so much depth. Uh, you know, Pulisic is coming back. Uh, you know, T Timo Warner, Kante, and Reese James. You know, they're they were on the bench, but they just have so many options and. They're looking strong against basically every team they play against. So I, I, I have I'm very hopeful for them for the future, and I think they'll remain a strong, strong contender going forward. 
I think you learn a lot about Chelsea from that Tottenham game because that's one I had my eyes on. I've been for a long time now wanting to see Tottenham make that jump to being a Champions League contender, being a Premier League contender, was hoping Nuno could do it. As you mentioned, we'll see what happens now. But you learn a lot, I think, about Chelsea, especially from that game. Now talented this team is. We knew it, but now I think they're an even better team. And as you mentioned, Emma, stopping in Angola Conte, look at the goals that they scored in that game. It's a 3 nothing scoreline. They all came in the second half, and they all came from Thiago Silva, Antonio uh, Rudiger and N'Golo Conte, three names that you would never expect to be the three leading goal scorers in a, in a marquee game for Chelsea when you have all these guys up front, as you mentioned, Lukaku, Werner, Pulisic, who was, who was a little hurt in that game, Mason Mount, name, name whoever you want. And as you mentioned, Keenan, I think Lukaku really is the game-changing player because he's been one of my favorite strikers for a long time now. And you feel like he especially fits into Chelsea's system well. Play out of the back, counter you, have a guy who is just physical, won't stop from minute zero to minute 90. And also, you know, he's, he's fleeted around by a lot of younger, uh, faster players, and he can kind of be that guy in the box to really put the ball away. And I think he has the qualities that Chelsea really needs to get an elite striker. That's really the only thing they were missing, if we look at it. I mean, that's, otherwise, you have a really solid lineup. You love what they're doing on the defensive end. They shut down Tottenham. They only had one shot on goal in that game. Uh, you like what they have in goal now that they solve those problems back there. You like what they have in the midfield. I mean, you have to really be optimistic about Chelsea. Now, the only thing is, where's their focus going to be? That's always the most interesting question to me about the Champions League Premier League conversation. It's very hard to win both. And I don't know where Chelsea's eyes are going to be. I think they're going to be more towards England than they are towards Europe, just in my mind. So I expect them to, to really compete for the top of the Premier League. Champions League, I think, might be a bit of an afterthought just because they already lifted that trophy last year. It should it should be a question as to where their focus is, but as we've all said, their depth is, you know, out of this world. It's it's truly one of the most deep squads in England. It's definitely rivals the depth of like a Man City in terms of quality off the bench, rivals that of Bayern in terms of quality off the bench. And, you know, I think they've got everyone else in Europe just at a, you know, pure eyeball test. You can say, okay, this player is going to be better than that player. Werner is a better substituting nine than most teams can field. So before we end today's show, I'm just going to, we're going to go around the group and just give me your pick for way too early, way too early, but we're going to hold on to these and we're going to review them at the end of the champions league season. Does Chelsea make it back? And if not Chelsea, then who? Wait, to the final now? To the final. Yeah. We're skipping everything that leads up to it. Does Chelsea make it back to the final? And if they make the final, will they lift it? I really have to look at the standings now and see how this is all going to play out. But if I had to pick my money on a couple of teams, I do think Manchester City is going to make quite a run this year. As we mentioned, I'll just sit on a couple of things we mentioned here. I think Liverpool has a high chance of making a bounce back effort too. I just think that their last season with the Champions League, they weren't exactly in the right mindset. I'm expecting a lot from them this year. And I'd also keep an eye on Man City. Uh, Bayern Munich is always a team I think is interesting too. We know that they can compete in the Champions League. I'm expecting a lot from them. And to that matter, I don't think Chelsea expected the final. I just, I really do believe at the end of the day that their focus is going to be on England. I'm just so fixated on that conversation. And I think they've seen Champions League success. And I think teams are going to take them more seriously now, to be honest, because I just don't think, I think they were a bit of a surprise in the last Champions League. I really do. I just don't think teams thought they would be as talented as they were. Now, though, they have a target on their back, and I don't know if they're going to be able to handle that. I think you've got so many other teams that are gearing to get back to the top of the Champions League, maybe even have a surprise team this year. I just think there's so much competition out there. There's so many good teams. I'm not going to put my money on Chelsea right now, but in terms of who's going to win it instead, that's really a tricky question because I think there's so many talented clubs out there. Uh, I just named a few that I think could be in the mix, but really, I mean, it goes so deep beyond that. You've got even teams like, Ajax, if you want to throw them out there, throw out Dortmund if you want, and we can go all day listing off teams that are really competitive, and it's just going to be a really exciting Champions League to see what happens uh, when we get to the final. 
Yeah, I I really am not sure, but I'm gonna ride the wave, and I guess I think I'm gonna I'm gonna pick Chelsea. Um, wow. I, I it's it's definitely gonna be a dog fight, but you no, know, actually I don't know. I stick with it. Yeah, stick with. It. Okay, I I've already put it out there. I guess I I gotta stick with it. I think. Like we said, at least for now, they just have so much depth, a great manager, and you know, so much talent on that team. But it, it there are so many other teams, like Man City. I mean, Liverpool. It's 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 hard to tell right now, but I am rooting for them. Yeah, and I think something as we touched on Alex and Emma, you know, with Tuchel being such a good manager, let's not forget he was put in place you know, halfway through their season last year, replacing Frank Lampard. And perhaps part of the, you know, Chelsea resurgence we saw in the second half of the season was because, you know, Tuchel wasn't, you know, nobody had seen him in England and nobody had seen him field the side with that Chelsea lineup. So, you know, it was a lot of moving parts that only he really knew exactly how he wanted those boys to play. And so perhaps not, you know, solely crediting the great Champions League run they had to that brilliance by Tuchel, but definitely something to consider. Me personally, I'm not on the wave that Chelsea makes it back. I think, as Alex said, they're clearly in a title race right now. I know it's just the start of the season, but, you know, you see how strong they play in the Premier League. They are, I would say they're maybe title favorites at this point. I'm a Liverpool fan, and I think Liverpool's playing like the Liverpool of old, the one that would challenge City, the one that would win, go to -to back-to-back Champions League finals, the one that lifted the Premier League trophy after kind of a bad year last year. I think, you know, they're they're back to that club identity of high press, but I still think Chelsea is a little bit in terms of, you know, if you're going to rank them, I think Chelsea's a little bit higher just for now, just because solely of what they can do. But I agree with you on that sense, Alex, that, you know, they're eventually going to end up prioritizing England just because I think in terms of English soccer, you know, the Champions League kind of takes a backseat if you're in a title race because lifting the Premier League trophy is a little bit more, you know, nationalist pride in terms of your club. And I think too, just, you know, you talk about City, you talk about Liverpool, you talk about Chelsea. Those are three teams, and I mean, we can even throw United in the mix because, you know, they didn't have a good good play, a good match against Young Boys losing 2-1 late, but, you know, still insanely talented team. But I, I really do view, like, those four teams from England being in a tight title race, and it's ultimately going to come down to what managers want to sacrifice, where do they want to sacrifice. And I really think that all four of those managers, between Ole, Pep, Jurgen Klopp, excuse me, and then Tuchel, I think all of them are going to push for a title in the Premier League, and they're going to field their best 11 week in, week out in England. And I think they're going to make sacrifices on that Champions League front. So in terms of who's going to win, I could see it. I'm going to pick a dark horse. I think I'm going to pick, I think I like Real Madrid. That's all I'm going to say. I think Benzema is arguably one of the best nines in, in the world right now and still is, just still, still knows how to score goals. And also, you know, as we talked about Lukaku kind of coming in this Chelsea side with younger players, Benzema is the seasoned veteran of that, you know, of that Madrid side with, you know, Varane leaving, with Ramos leaving. And so I think he really becomes the glue that holds all those young pieces together. And I really could see, you know, Madrid making some noise this year because they still have Zidane at the helm, who we know is one heck of a coach. So I definitely think Real Madrid you know, if they make the knockouts, I think they're definitely a team to be taken seriously. With that all being said, that concludes this week's episode of FUVFC. 
Um, we'll join you guys next week um, after what should be another thrilling action of thrilling weekend of uh, domestic league play. Um, and then right in time for more Champions League soccer coming up next week. So for uh, Alex Wills, I'm Zupko. I'm Keenan Troy. Catch you guys later.